Hi everybody, this is John with Out of Character, and today I wanted to talk about the new Dresden Files cooperative card game from Evil Hat Productions. I just got my copy because I backed it on Kickstarter. I got it about a week ago, and I've been playing it a lot, and I wanted to get a review out while it's still new, and, you know, it's making its way to stores now, so people who backed it on Kickstarter... Uh, I believe most of you, either it's either on the way or you've got it by now, so you've probably been playing it. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, The Dresden Files is an urban fantasy series written by Jim Butcher, who basically created this wizard by the name of Harry Dresden, who operates mainly out of Chicago. He is a wizard and a private investigator. It's actually a really good book series. If you've never heard of it, you might want to check it out. This game is a cooperative card game. So it kind of follows suit of other cooperative games like Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, uh, Pandemic, Fury of Dracula, Shadows Over Camelot, all those games where you are not working against each other, you're trying to beat the game. The game is trying to beat you, and you're trying to beat the game. So how are we going to do that? Well, the game supposes a question to you when you start to play, which is, throughout Harry's cases, throughout Harry's misadventures, he has made allies and enemies. The game asks, what if Harry's allies had been with him throughout all of his adventures and they'd all been there from the word go? It does this in a couple of different ways. So basically, the core game, the game that you buy that comes in the big box, comes with enough characters for everyone to play. Uh, it's one to five players. It comes with Harry Dresden, who will be in every single game that you ever play. Uh, it comes with Karen Murphy, who is a police officer with the Special Investigations Unit of Chicago, basically tasked with handling all the weird, unusual cases. You get you get Susan Rodriguez, who's this arcane reporter. She's basically like a she's kind of like a reporter for like one of those supernatural tabloid magazines, but she actually believes in the supernatural. Uh, you get Michael Carpenter, who is a Knight of the Cross. And you get Billy and Georgia, who are gamer werewolf college students. That's basically what comes in the core box as far as the characters that you can use. It is a 30-minute playtime, roughly. It's, it does a couple of things really, really well before we jump in here. Um, I just want to take a moment to compliment Evil Hat on the great job they did with this game. The artwork for the card, the cards are really well laid out. It explains everything that you need very clearly and very concisely. The layout of the board is very nice. Uh, the various tokens that they did print really well, and they were easy to read and keep track of. So, good job to you guys. You, you made an awesome game. With this game, you will also be getting some very cool bonuses. The books that appear in the Dresden Files series are basically your primary what you're trying to beat. It comes with a decent selection of the first few books. Uh, the expansions add more books and more characters. So if you like the game and you want to add more books to your repertoire, you can do so. So I set up a side game here. Uh, it also comes with two sets of, well, a two different sets of fate dice. Uh, one orange, one purple. That's what I got. I don't know if that's what everyone got. Which is nice because if you like the fate role-playing game or anything like that, then you have some more fate dice, which is always handy. Before jumping into explaining uh, team play and stuff like that, I want to say a couple of things. One of the things I love about this game is one-player games are actually fun. Uh, I know that as gaming becomes a bigger and bigger thing, there are more and more games that are like, you can play with one player. You don't have to have a big group. Uh, the two that leak to mind right now, you have Clax that you can play with one player, which is based on Discworld. Uh, you have One Deck Dungeon. There's no, there's not a shortage of games that can be played with one player, but generally the consensus is one player games are less fun. You can play it with one player, but it's like, yeah, I'd rather just not play. I played this pretty much every game I've played was one player 
and they were all really, really fun. That is a nice boon to it, because if you're looking for something, maybe you don't have a consistent game group, or your group isn't big into the Dresden files, then it, it gives you the ability to actually play the game and enjoy it. Uh, and the other nice thing is one-player gameplay allows you to test the game, learn the mechanics, and then you can jump in and play, and you're explaining the rules to the other players. You're not like, I don't understand what we're going to do. So one-player is great. It's a little bit different, but I'll explain those differences later. But it is a fun way to play the game. The other nice things uh, that I really like before I jump in here are... The game has a, has a sliding scale of difficulty that is determined by your number of fate points. So in your game, there are 13 markers that, resemble, that are meant to represent the number of fate points that you have. Fate points basically are what you're spending to play cards or to pass on your turn if you wish to do so or anything like that. So basically, fate points are the primary mechanic for doing stuff in this game. Now, if you're just starting out, there's what's called apprentice difficulty. That's when you start with all 13 fate points available to you and, your, and the other players, which is great. It gives you the ability to do a lot of things very early and very quickly. If you've played a few games and you've kind of decided, you know, if we, we've played often enough, 13 fate points, we, we don't need that. We need to we need to slide the difficulty scale up a little bit here. Then you're going to take a few of those fate points away at the beginning of the game, which shrinks your pool of available fate points, so you can go to the wizard level of difficulty, which is eight fate points. And if you've played a lot and you really want to challenge, you can shrink down to just four available fate points, which is Merlin, and that is considered challenging. I've played at all levels of difficulty, and they can be very, very... They're obvi they are very different. It's not just like, oh, we just have fewer fate points. So that's cool, because it does kind of add a level, another layer to the game. Uh, it's fun to be able to say, like, well, we beat that case really easily, or, you know, we want to try different things and see what works best. Uh, being able to increase or decrease the difficulty is an interesting mechanic. So let's jump in here. I set up a test game to my left so I could kind of illustrate a few things. Obviously, you're not going to see it, but... It's just for my reference. When you're setting up the game board, it's a very nice game board, by the way. It's a fold-out uh, game board, uh, which basically represents... There's two rows, and there's six slots in each row. All the things that are happening during your game are going to be represented. For example, I've set up a game for Stormfront, which was the first Harry Dresden case that came up. If you haven't read the book, and you care about spoilers, you may want to stop listening to this podcast right now, because there are some minors, there are some spoilers for what's going on. You have, the first card you have is what's called your showdown. The showdown is basically the big climactic final fight. In Stormfront, it's showdown in the burning house. That is going to come into play at the end of the game. How does the game end? We'll get to that later. You have two rows, as I said, six cards in each row. The things that are filling these rows, you have foes, which in the case of Stormfront, we have Kalshazak, the Toad Demon, the Shadow Man, Giant Scorpions, and Marconi's Goons. You have Advantages, which are helpful boons. They're basically little cool power-ups to help you get better and do, do more cool things. You have Beer at Max, and you have Speed Potion. You have your Cases, which are basically the mysteries you're trying to solve, or parts of the mystery that you're trying to solve to get around things. You have Ritual Double Murder, Victor is Missing, Is Marconi Involved? And who is the Shadow Man? And last but not least, you have obstacles, which are things that make it harder to win the game. Obstacles are basically just going to hinder your ability throughout. Uh, in this particular instance, we have Morgan is watching, 
which, until this obstacle is overcome, all attacks cost one additional fate point. And we have Three-Eyed Drug War, which, until this obstacle is overcome, all blank faces on die become negative faces on die rolls. So those are both very bad. But luckily, we're not scared of that, because we are mighty, and we're going to beat this game. For the test game I set up, just to kind of illustrate a few things and help me keep track of various mechanics that I like, I chose to use Harry Dresden, Karen Murphy, and Susan Rodriguez, because they were all present in that first book, and it made sense. Um, this example is a one-player game. So remember how I said I was going to talk about how one player is different than two player? I didn't lie. One-player games differ in two big ways. In a one-player game, you are only going to use three characters. Simple, straightforward, and easy to understand. You will be playing all the characters, and you get six cards with each of them, which is all very nice and tidy and easy to understand. The other big difference is this. Normally in a Dresden Files game, your hand is secret. You cannot see the other player's cards. The other players cannot see your cards. You cannot tell the other player, well, I have a card called Fuego, which is a five fate, potentially five hits, and a range of three that I would like to play. You cannot do that. Now, I can say, I have an attack I'd like to play, or I have a an, invest, an investigate card that I'd like to play, but you can't tell people the range, the value, how many fate points it costs. You basically have to trust each other. The reason I love this is it overcomes a lot of the problems with cooperative games. A lot of cooperative games like Sentinels of the Multiverse or, you know, Shadows Over Camelot or Forbidden Island or any of that, one of the things that can kill those games is when you turn, the, when one powerful personality or one really aggressive player kind of starts to take command of the game and steer it and say, you do this, you do this, you do this, then my turn, I'll do this, then you do this. That stinks. It's horrible. It makes people hate cooperative games, and it's no fun. In this version of the game, though, because you don't see each other's cards, you, you, you there's no one player who's going to be like, okay, now they can say, like, well, you should discard for fate. And you might look at that and go, like, yeah, you're right, now might be a good time to discard for fate. But they can't say, you should play this card, and then that card, and then you should discard that card. Now, in your first game, they do freely recognize that you may want to play with all the cards on the table so everyone can see and learn mechanics. You don't have to do it that way. Oh, another mechanic is uh, you can play this as a random draw game, meaning you can randomly pick characters or you can pick characters that you like. I would say pick characters that you like. I'm, I'm never a big fan of randomly assigning characters. This game's not so bad because I've played all the characters and they're all pretty good. There's no bad character or like, you know, seriously hindered one to play with. So we'll talk about that a bit more. All right. So we've got our, our book laid out here. And all that stuff I just said to you is probably making very little sense, but it will in a moment. So how do we beat this? Foes have to take hits. Simple as that. You're shooting them. You're doing a Kaido moves. You're throwing holy water at vampires. You're throwing fireballs. You're biting them. You're, you know, shooting, doing whatever you're doing. For the most part, it's just as simple as that. Giant Scorpion takes nine hits to beat. Uh, the Shadow Man takes 11. Marconi's goons take seven. Now, some of them have special rules, like Kalshazak, the toad demon. He takes eight hits, which isn't that many, but he cannot receive hits until who is the shadow man is solved. So you have to solve who is the shadow man before you can hit the toad demon. And he's front and center right from the beginning, which really stinks because all those short range attacks won't be able to do anything to him. 
So he's kind of in the way. The cases, for the most part, are solved by gathering clues. For example, ritual double murder takes 11 clues to solve. Whereas, let's take... Is Marconi involved? Uh, takes 7 clues to solve, and when solved, an active player must discard an attack card. Which may be like, okay, maybe we shouldn't get rid of that card because we really need those hits. You also will have like little... So when you're looking at these cards, there's little markers to indicate if they interact with another card. So you kind of want to look at them and be like, okay, what do we want to solve first? Do we want to get rid of Marconi's goons first because we don't have any clues? Because when they're defeated, we remove two clues from Is Marconi Involved? So it kind of adds a nice layer of complexity to it. For the advantages, you have the beer at max, which when taken, the active player draws one card and distributes two card draws among other players. This brings us to a great moment to talk about draw cards. So as I said, the cards that you get at the beginning of the game, you get six cards. Now, unlike most games... And to this game's benefit, it is not a deck builder. It is not you have a huge hand of cards and you're going to be getting cards constantly. Once you're out of cards, you're out of cards. You effectively have very little left to do in the game. Here's the thing that's great. Whenever it's your turn, you have to do something. Basically, every turn you're going to do one of a couple of things. Either you're going to play a card, which in this instance, let's say I'm playing as Harry Dresden, and I would be because I'm a one-player game, and I play. I want to play the Investigate card, Consult with Bob. Now, this card costs four Fate Points, which, since we're playing the easy level... We have plenty of fate points. I'm going to play my four fate points, and you it's a special investigate card. It has a range of infinite, so it can hit everything on the table. It basically hit everything in one row, uh, and it says add two clues to all cases in one row. So I'm going to look. There's one case in one row and three cases in another row. So I say, okay, in row two, I'm going to put two clues down on all the cases. Simple enough. Now, that card gets discarded. It goes into my discard, which is separate from everyone else's discard. It's gone. I don't get to draw a card. I, there's no, like, at the end of your turn, draw back up to this number of hands. There are some cards and some abilities that will let you draw a card, but they are rare. So card draws are a big deal. That's thing. That's one thing that you can do, is to play a card like I just illustrated. Another option is to do what's called discarding for fate. So let's say we go to the next player who is playing in this instance. We're going to say Murphy's going to discard. Okay, fine by me. I like Murphy. She's a good character. She's going to discard one of her cards, which is the card bad, which costs one fate point, which means we get a fate point back, which is handy. Now, this brings us to the next mechanic of the game. Every character has... A talent. Harry has Wizard PI, Karen has SI Detective, and Susan has Arcane Reporter. What your now your talents are always present. That means every time your character is discarding for fate, they're doing something. So in the case of Murphy, her says, when you discard for fate points, add one clue to the case at the longest range. Okay, great. So in this instance I have two options because I have two cases at the same range. We're going to add a third clue to who is the Shadow Man. So we get a Fate Point back, which is handy. And we also get a we get another clue, which is handy. So when you're deciding, like, do I want to discard for Fate Points, you can look at that and be like, okay, maybe I want to discard for Fate Points because that gets us Fate and a clue, and we need as many clues as we can get. Another thing that you can do would be to play your Stunt. 
So all the characters have a stunt. Now, they're very, very different, and they very much influence the way your character plays, but they're all one-time-only use. So the stunt is basically, as your turn, you can... In, in the case of Susan Rodriguez, hers is Timely Assist. It says, as your turn, flip this card over to choose any one player, including yourself, to draw one card. That player takes the next turn. Play then proceeds to the left of that player. So let's say she sees we're writing down some cards. We don't want to get in a bad position. And she says, I'm going to give a draw to Harry, to Harry's player. Keeping in mind, this is me playing, so I'm talking to myself because that's what I do. So Harry draws another card, and this time he draws Private Investigator. So that's one of those examples. Remember how I was saying there's abilities that let you draw cards, but they're rare? Her ability to let people draw cards is one of those. Her stunt that lets people draw cards is one such thing. So, we've illustrated some of the things. So, play proceeds back to Harry, and there's one thing left that you can do. So, we've seen discarding for fate, we've seen playing a card, we've seen using your stunt. The only other thing you can really do is to pass. So, let's say that I'm playing this game, and I want to preserve Harry's cards, and I want to do something else. So, if you say, I don't want to do anything, I just want to pass this turn... You spend one fate point to pass. And then play proceeds to the next player. Now, if ever there comes a time when you cannot discard a card for fate, play a card, uh, or spend a fate point to pass, play, or use your stunt, play immediately ends, and you proceed to the showdown. I'll explain the showdown in a minute. Uh, well, in a little bit, I'll explain the showdown. But that's it. So while you're watching all these fate points moving around on the board, you kind of have to be aware of, when do we want to go to the showdown? So I've been talking a lot about mechanics and how things work and all that good stuff. And what we come back to is, what is our goal here? What are we trying to do? All that stuff, all those all those foes and, cl- and cases and things, basically, when you go through the showdown, you can spend your remaining fate points to roll die to get additional hits and clues. Uh, it varies depending on what book you're playing in. For example, in... Stormfront, you can spend one fate point to get a chance to add additional hits. Or you can spend two fate points to get a chance to roll for additional clues. And then you would roll. If it's a positive, you roll the the corresponding die on the showdown. If it's negative or neutral, you get nothing. The way you score at the end of the game is players score one point for each solved case, and the game scores one point for each undefeated foe. And the game wins in the event of a tie. So, in this case, for... Showed for Stormfront, you have four cases and you have four foes. You have to have more cases solved than there are undefeated foes. So that's it. it. That's the scoring mechanic. You just basically have to make sure that at the end, you've solved more cases than you've left undefeated foes. The thing I love about this is it forces you to pay attention to everything. You can't completely ignore the foes, but you can't turn this into, like, Street Fighter the game. It's not just about smashing guys or, like, blowing up giant monsters. You can do those things. Those are fine. You know, those are all well and good. But you also have to be cognizant of, okay, here's the cases that we're working on and here's what's going on. It makes characters like Susan Rodriguez, who can lay down a lot of clues, just as much fun and just as much a part of the action as characters like Murphy and Harry, who are very powerful in terms of, like, you know, they have guns and magic spells and martial arts, which is really fun. So that's basically it as far as the actual gameplay goes. Play proceeds normally. 
I do want to talk about two other types of cards that we didn't get to. One is basically the cards for overcoming obstacles. These are just basically the things that get rid of, like, Morgan is watching and the Three-Eyed Drug War. It's the same as anything else. There's a, a set amount of fate, a set amount of range, and you overcome an obstacle. Some of the cards have additional bonuses for that and additional range. That's how you overcome those obstacles. You want to get rid of those, because mostly they're just going to be really, really bad and make everything a lot harder. So yeah, you want to get rid of obstacles early. Since we, since it's a big part of the game, Harry has this ability, which is, his talent is, when you discard for fate points, you may move one obstacle or advantage card forward or backward one space in one row. In, in either row. So Harry can move advantages and obstacles around and make them easier to get to. Generally speaking, the further something is away, the harder it is to get to. So yeah, that's more or less the mechanical aspect of the game. Now, I'm sorry if that went on a little long, or if you're like, I don't understand any of what he just said, but there's a lot of great things about this game beyond mechanics. Uh, it does, as I said, there are a good number of cases that come with it. Uh, the first few books do come in the series. They did do expansions. I believe the furthest we are at the moment is Turncoat. So there are still books that aren't represented. They'll probably show up in future expansions. Uh, right now, you can play with Harry Dresden. You can play with Karen Murphy. You can play with Susan Rodriguez. You can play with Michael Carpenter. You can play with uh, Billy and Georgia. Those are the core. And the expansions add Carlos Ramirez, Thomas Wraith, Waldo Butters, Mouse, Molly Carpenter... Anastasia Lucio, and let's see, who else? Sonya, who's another Knight of the Cross, and Hank Walker. So you can get a big, a huge number of characters to play with and add more and more cases. As far as replay value goes, with just what's in the core box, not counting the expansions or anything, it's definitely there because you can play the cases with different characters, you can play with different numbers of people, you can, you know, up the difficulty, down the difficulty, try different strategies. The, another cool thing that does come in the game, though, is the side shop deck. So let's say you love the Dresden Files. You're the world's biggest Dresden Files fan. And none of your friends have played the Dresden Files books. And you're trying to, like, get them into the game. Side jobs is a great way to do that. So with the side jobs deck, you're still using all the same mechanics. You're still using all the same player characters. You're still using the same board. But... The books are basically assembled kind of with random elements from various Dresden Files cases. It's based on the Side Jobs book from the Dresden Files, which was a collection of short stories and things that have been kind of like scattered throughout. Every time you do one of these, you roll two fate die, and depending on the roll, you might get a case that has a lot of foes or clues or an equal number or more advantages, less advantages, all that good stuff. There's a huge number of Side Job cards. Like, each expansion adds more. The core game comes with some of them. So by the time you get all those expansions, you can have, like, a really big side job deck, which is great because it allows you to be like, we want to play the, you know, play the side job game and jump in and play it and try it out. And maybe that will spark off interest in the Dresden Files books for your friends, or maybe you'll be like, we really like this world. We want to do more with it. This game overcomes a lot of very difficult things. It is a licensed property game but I think that it found a way to make itself available and fun for everyone. It has the option to play with one player, and it's actually a fun game. It's a cooperative game that allows players to avoid the negative, have one player telling everyone what to do. The replay value soars, and I do think that this is one of those games that we'll hopefully see some more expansions for with more characters, 
and more cool bits and bobs to add to the game. Me personally, I would love to see Working for Bigfoot as an expansion. Working for Bigfoot is a collection of more Dresden Files short stories where he works for a Sasquatch, a Bigfoot. And it's really fun. I don't think we'll ever see them, but who knows, maybe. If you're interested, there are also variants where certain things that happen through the Dresden Files books, you can swap some of his cards, some of the characters' cards out and replace them with other ones. So I'm not going to tell you what those are because they have major plot spoilers for the books, but there are variant cards and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of those in future. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I really wanted to say. Let's see. Oh, I do like the 30 minute playtime, by the way. That's awesome because a lot, like, let's say you're all getting together and you love the Dresden Files and your players are like, someone's late. You're like, hey, we could do the Dresden Files cooperative card game. It really doesn't take very long to play. It's not a huge long setup. It's, you can have this on the table and be playing in a couple of minutes. It lets you play the game in a way that even when you're not, even when you're not punching out the toe demon, you still feel like part of the action and like you're actively contributing. Uh, the more players you have, the fewer cards you have. So you have more people with more talents and more things that they can kind of like chain off of each other. But at the same time, you have fewer cards in your hand. So keep that in mind. A big game with five players, you're each going to get, I think, I think it's four cards. I'm going to double check. Yeah. With five players, you each get four cards. Everyone I know wants to play Billy and Georgia because they're gamer werewolves. And every time I describe them as that, people are like, I want to play those characters. Uh, they're a college couple who are basically were werewolves who are totally into gaming, which is fun. I think this is a game that if you are a fan of the Dresden Files, or if you're a fan of cooperative games, if you're a fan of the fate form of role-playing game, get this game. It introduces a lot of concepts and a lot of familiar things that are a lot of fun. If you just like cooperative card games or you just like the Dresden Files, get this game. It's a lot of fun. Even if you just like cooperative games and you're looking for something different, this, to me, this is like the best version of a cooperative game that we're ever going to get. It's not super complex, which a lot of cooperative games are. They're just so hard to get on the table because they take forever. And it's so, like, I love the fact that this is a challenging game. Every move you make actually does have an impact. It's not like, well, we win because. You you can lose. It's not unwinnable, but it's difficult, which I like that. A lot of games can be, like, stuff like uh, the Cthulhu cooperative games and all that. It just feels, like, really, really hard. Like, almost to the point of, like, you're almost never going to win this game. The Dresden Files game, I think that you, you, you're probably going to lose more often than you win, but... You know, you, you can you can probably pull it off if you're smarter than me. I've been playing by myself and I lose a lot. That's probably because I suck. But maybe you're smart and good and, you know, more like Harry and Karen. Oh, there was one, one other thing I wanted to talk about, and that is story mode. Because every game needs a story mode. So, story mode is when you play through all the books in order. So, basically, you pick your characters. You can swap characters between books if you want to. And you just play through the book. So, for example, you play through Stormfront, and if you beat it, you proceed to the next book. If you don't beat it, then you play it over again. I'll be honest, if I have one problem with this game, it is story mode. I do like the idea of a story mode. I don't think that's the way I would choose to run it. Here's what I would suggest, and, you know, take this with a grain of salt. I'm not a game designer, a professional game designer, and the people who made this game are way smarter and better than me. I would say... If I was doing story mode, the way I would do it is I would say, okay, Harry's going to be in every story. You pick your characters, you play. If you beat the book, proceed as normal. If you lose, 
you do not play the same book over again. Here's why I say that. It can be really frustrating to play the same challenge over and over, and maybe, you know, it's just not there. The dice rolls are betraying you, or you're just not hitting what you need to get tonight. I would say the characters except for Harry die. In this version of the Dresden Files universe, those characters are gone. For your next game, the next book, you proceed to the next book as normal, you up the difficulty by one. Now, how does... The game would end if ever you reach a point where you cannot up the difficulty or you've run out of enough characters for everyone to have one to play. I kind of like that idea that basically Harry's, you know, survived some stuff, he's lost some friends, things are a bit more difficult. But that's just my idea. Maybe you like the idea of playing through, and it's not a super long game. It's 30 minutes, and I, I would say that's a, an actual... Every game I've played takes about 40 to 45 minutes. The reason is because I'm talking to myself and trying to figure out the rules and trying to think of ways not to lose. But 30 minutes feels right for a group that's played a couple times and knows what they want to do. So, yeah. If, you, if, you're, if you're thinking about getting this game, please get it. It's one of those things... This is their, this is Evil Hat's first big foray into a tabletop game. I think it's a slam dunk. They, they hit it out of the park. I think it's one of those things that if it's supported and people actually buy it, then it does definitely, you know, we'll hopefully see more expansions for it with more characters and variants and books. If you're thinking like, well, it's a cooperative game. Why should I buy it? My friend, if my friend bought it. Maybe you like Molly Carpenter. Maybe you like one of the expansion characters. Your friend bought the core game and you wanted to just buy the expansion. You can definitely do that. The game, I'm told the game is going to be in stores in March, so late later this month. It is available on Evil Hat's website. If you don't have a local game store in your area that can order it, then definitely check out Evil Hat's website. But yeah, that's pretty much everything I had to say about the game. It's a lot of fun, very innovative, and it does a lot of great things. Oh, one last thing, just because we didn't get to do it. I can't resist the urge to illustrate attack cards, um, so I'm going to play Fuego before we go. And I know it's illegal, but I'm going to do it. So we're going to play Fuego, which costs me five fates. So for this hit, I, I, it's a four hit, so I roll one fate die in addition. It's a negative, so it's a three hit. And you assign three hits to any character within three squares. And we're going to assign three hits to this Shadow Man. That's just one example of how the attack cards work, but I wanted to get that in. So, again, very, very diverse game. I think it'll appeal to a lot of different types of gamers, and I hope you guys give it a shot. Until next time, everybody, we will have, hopefully, more actual play stuff for you next week. Uh, I'm sitting down to record two sessions, so unless they both fall through, we'll have at least one for you. Until next time, we are out of character. Play more games and be safe. Bye!